0: Welcome to the Nerd Nostalgic Podcast with your host, the Ginger Bo- Howdy, beans, and welcome to the Nerd Staget Podcast with me, your host, Luke, the Human. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're good, as per usual. Now, today, I might disappoint a few people um, because it's not going to be a main quest episode today. Uh, it's going to be a side quest. A uh, simple reason is I've been really, really busy this week, having a much energy, having a lot of time to really invest myself into the actual topic that i had planned for this week so i won't spoil it here um but that topic will become next week um as for this week i decided i was going to do something short i didn't want to leave anybody high and dry. i didn't want to skip a week um so i figured i'm going to do a shorter episode um doing a book review because i want to do more book reviews to be honest i am an avid reader i've only done a few book reviews here and there uh, through Season 1 and, and so far through Season 2. The last one I did was this sort of deep dive look into the Bioshock prequel novel, Bioshock Rapture, uh, which again, if you haven't checked that episode, go back and check it out. But I've never really, you know, I, I haven't done enough as as I would like, to be honest. I want to do a lot more. So I figured, why not start here? You know, it's it's a shorter episode that sort of tied you through to the next topic, but also it allows me to really sort of begin to start doing more book reviews now not every book that i read um will i say is worth either writing a review for or even talking about in a podcast form because i do read a lot of books and i lead i read a lot of random books um so i'll only really be choosing the ones i feel like people mostly enjoy like for example uh joined season one i reviewed um the zombie survival guide book by i think it's max brooks uh, mel Brooks's is some And that went really, really well, and people really, really seemed to enjoy it. Enjoyed it. Um, So I want to do a lot more sort of weird, wonderful, strange books that lots sort of catch my eye, or I feel like people would enjoy here. So that's sort of the main thing that I want to do when I review sort of books. I'm not going to sit here and just you know read books and tell you like, oh, you should go read. Uh, Stephen King's The Talisman it's a fantastic book but like I'm not going to do those sort of run-of-the-mill sort of the books everybody does I'm going to do sort of the sort of not the obscure the not so popular sort of books because I'll be honest in terms of my reading I don't like well, in terms of anything really if there is a book or a movie or a game or a TV show that is really really popular that I'm interested in but um, the more people are in, more people talk about it and the more people post about it and, and the more that it gets traction, the less I actually want to experience it. Like, for example, The Witcher. I haven't read any of The Witcher books yet, which they're on my list and I will get around to those. Um, but I was a big fan of The Witcher games. I loved them. I played The Witcher 1. I played uh, The Witcher 2 on the Xbox 360. I loved them. You know, nobody really knew who's, who CD Projekt Red was. Nobody knew um who Garrett Rivia was or what a Witcher was. It was a very niche, very small, sort of nerdy thing and I loved it, right? And then the Witcher Free Wild Hunt came out. And don't me wrong, that game's incredible. You know, it's a masterpiece. And no wonder it sort of exploded and is such a popular uh, franchise even now. And why it put CG Project Red on the map. But for me personally, I was very much the vein of Ah, oh, people now now normally normal people know about it and now they're gonna ruin it. Um and they didn't ruin it. It was just more just the fact that because it became popular, I became less interested in it. And that's just the way I am. I don't know why. Um but the more popular something is, I I'm not one of those people that goes, Yay, my favourite thing is now popular I'm like, Oh, it's no longer no longer niche. No, I I can't. It's like there's no longer smaller groups of people that you can get really nerdy about with it. You've now got to talk to people at work about it, and it's like, oh, I don't want to get too nerdy. I don't know. Maybe it's me just being silly, but it's one of those sort of things that I don't tend to read books um, that are incredibly popular or doing well. If even if I want to read them, I would rather leave them for a year or two till the dust settles, till everybody stopped hyping them up and reviewing them and posting about them and all that. Then I'll come back to them and I'll be like, now the dust is settled, I will check them out. And I'll see if there is, if they are as good or as bad, you know, I will finally jump in and enjoy it. And that's how I do with most things, to be honest. Like, for example, Stranger Things was another another one. I started Stranger Things season one. I loved it. Then it started getting a lot more mainstream and I pulled back. It took me a year. Until I actually got around to watching um, Stranger, the last Stranger Things season. Because everybody was so hype and talking about it. I, I just kind of, it put me off, you know. Um, so that's how I'm, I'm going to basically structure my book reviews. They're going to be books that are not overly popular. They're most likely to be video game books. They could be Doctor Who um, I want to look into. Um, I might even do a few Terry Pratchett here and there. Um, I haven't really planned it out yet. Yeah. I've got loads of books around me, tons that I've completed. I might even go back to books I've already read and I just want to talk about. You know, I've done graphic novels in the past. I find graphic novels are a bit difficult to do because it is a very visual based and doing it on an audio platform is quite difficult. Um, so maybe I'll leave them until, you know, I get a video camera and then I start doing videos on YouTube. And, you know, we could we could do those there. But most likely it'll just be, you know, sort of standard word based sort of books. Um, but today... Um, I'm going to be looking at Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve, which came out in 2001. Um, But before I do, one thing I want to mention, because I've already gone too far ahead, but I'm going to have to put it in anyway. If you want to be updated on anything that I'm reading or any topics that I'm doing, or anything that I'm playing, watching, or anything that jazz, make sure to follow me on Twitter at NerdStagic pod. I'm almost at 1,200 um, followers. I'm currently, I think, on the top of my head, I think I'm at 1,194, uh, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. I'm really close anyway. So follow me on there for updates, and it would really help me if I managed to uh, get to that goal You know, really, really early. Also, if you listen to this on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe and all that jazz. It really, really helps out immensely. I'm currently at 83 um, subscribers and growing very, very quickly. So I will be over the moon if you would do me the honor of just subscribing. It would really, really um, appreciate it. I'd appreciate it greatly. Right. So now that's us out of the way. Um, on the book review. Now, As I do normally, whenever I review anything, whenever I, well, anytime I actually do any sort of podcast, I always write notes. I always have footnotes. I never write a script. Um, I barely really edit it myself uh, that much. I just tend to have a few notes so I can make sure that I hit all the points. With this one, I'm going to be very loosey goosey. I'm going to be doing it the back the way I did when I first started podcasting, which sometimes ended well, sometimes didn't, we'll see how we go, Um, but I didn't use any notes, I didn't have any sort of script or anything to follow, I just generally like, I like this thing, I'm going to talk about this thing, you know, and I really enjoy doing that and I miss doing that. So I feel like with with these side quests, I don't really have to plan so much because they're not going to be big long form episodes, they're going to be shorter condensed episodes, even though I I talk for England and I waffle and I tend to go longer than I plan. these are meant to be short compressed episodes and I can't really do that if I'm following a script. So this is going to be sort of off the cuff. So if I do make mistakes or um more than usual, I do apologize. It is mainly just me going from one sort of section to the next. So onto the review. So Mortal Engines is a young adult science fiction fantasy novel by Philip Reeve, published by Scholastic UK in 2001. The book focuses on a futuristic steampunk version of London, now a giant machine striving to survive on a world that is running out of resources. Mortal Engines is the first book of a series published from 2001 to 2006. It has been adapted as a 2018 feature film by Peter Jackson, um, though the movie... Uh, for the movie universe is different from the one of the book the book won a nestle smarties book prize and the 2003 blue peter book award it was shortlisted for the 2002 uh, whitbread award the 2004 ala's notable books for children award and the 2020 blue peter awards 20th anniversary prize i've actually the book i've got in front of me now it has the badges on front of it. Now I don't like it when books come with stickers and badges on the front, um, especially nowadays. It really annoys me. Uh, anybody who's a book li- book reader here will agree with me. Um, Netflix, I love them, but if Netflix get a hold of a book series that they're going to make into a TV show or a film, you will you are bound to see it. And they did it with the Witcher books, which really annoyed me. But they put a huge, non-peelable sticker on the front of the cover said, now watch The Witcher on Netflix. Like no, fuck off. You know, sorry for swearing, but go away. I don't like it. You know, it's the worst when they put stickers on it and you have to carefully peel the sticker off because again I am a diehard book reader. I don't like damaging books and I really don't like it when you have to peel a sticker off and you have sticker Regidou stuck onto the front of the book. I hate it. I really don't like it. It really pees me off, right? Don't do it. Um, and this book has it. Now, granted, I got it from the charity shop and it's an old book. And fair enough, it's it's not a sticker, but it's done in in a clever way. And I feel like it sort of improves the cover. I'll, don't worry, I'll post the cover of the book on Twitter so you can probably have a look what I'm talking about. Um, but it does have the Blue Peter Book of the Year Award 2003 logo on the front, as well as a gold award winner for the Nestle uh, Book Prize so I just wanted to mention that. Um, As for the synopsis, the book is set in a post-apocalyptic world ravaged by the sixty mini war, a global conflict so violent it caused a massive global logical upheaval to escape earthquakes, volcanic eruptions and natural threats. A nomad leader called Nikolai, I've always struggled with this guy, Krakarus, known throughout the Quartlet as Nicholas Quirky and revealed as a deity, installed massive engines and wheels on London, enabling it to be dismantled or eat other cities for resources. The technology rapidly spread and evolved into what is known as municipal Darwinism. Although the planet has since become stable, Municipal Darwinism has spread worldwide, becoming scientific progress has almost completely halted, and much technological and scientific knowledge was lost during the war. Old tech is hot. Old Tech is highly prized and recovered by scavengers and archaeologists. Europe, some of Asia, North Africa, Antarctica and the Arctic are dominated by traction cities. In contrast, North America, often identified as the dead continent due to the extensive destruction it suffered during the war and the rest of the world, And the rest of the world is the strongest of the Anti-Traction League, which seeks to keep cities from moving and thus stop the intense consumption of the planet's remaining resources. London is the principal traction city in the novel, which has returned to a Victorian era society. London society is divided into four major and several minor guilds. The engineers are responsible for maintaining the machines necessary for the survival of London many of which are found by the Guild of Historians. The historians are in charge of collecting and preserving highly prized, often dangerous artefacts. The navigators are responsible for steering and piloting the course of London. The merchants are in charge of running London's economy. London is officially ruled by an elected mayor. The Lord Mayor is Magnus Crome, who is also the head of the Guild of Engineers. Like most tracts and cities, London is built on a series of tiers. This encourages the system of social classes with the wealthier nobles at the top of the city and the lower classes further down. Closer to the noise and pollution of the city's massive engines, atop the whole of London sits St Paul's Cathedral, the only building known to have survived the 16-minute war. So that's the synopsis of, of the first book. You know, It's set in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic world set in the far, far future and it really really fascinated me when i read this sort of premise because i'll I'll be honest i watched the movie first before i read the book and what pulled me in for the film was this idea that you have huge cities like london and you have small towns it's like for example a town like essex for example you've got small towns like essex and bristol and birmingham and all that they're their own little traction sort of towns but you've got london which is huge and it's done on giant sort of tank tracks and big wheels and it's municipal Darwinism. You know, the bigger fish eats the smaller fish, the smaller fish being the smaller towns, the smaller cities and London comes in and London's been around um, England basically destroying all of the prey that are there and they've ran out of, of things to eat in England. So now they have to travel over the, well, what was the Atlantic Ocean is now just a rock, rocky bed, marshy land. They've got to travel across there and across Africa and places like that to find prey. And the simple sort of idea behind that is really fascinating. You know, the bigger fish eats the smaller fish. And these cities where the people live on them, and the people have sort of changed because there was a huge war that devastated Earth. And for me, the whole idea and concept behind that is absolutely fascinating. Because we've seen it many times before in video games and movies, you know, a post-apocalyptic world where people are turning into cannibals, people are going into slavery, we've gone back to the Stone Age, we're now rubbing sticks together, you know, we're no longer technologically advanced at all. Um, we have to start again, if anything. But with this, it's the fact of enough of time has passed and there is enough old tech that is still around and been salvageable that the idea of life has changed so drastically, but it's also really recognizable. You know, we have, you know, we'd never think about putting London on a giant sort of moving platform, um, but it works and it's so unique and so ingenious that I just love it. And the movie did really, really well about that. And we'll get to talk about the movie in a minute, but this is what pulled me in for the book. This, the idea behind um, these moving cities and that, Sadly, in in the first book, you don't see many cities. Really, you, London's the biggest city that you encounter, and London is the most fa- focal point of the of the book. But you also have the other cities as well. You see, if you hear sort of rumbles of other cities of in Antarctica, you have other cities in America. You hear other cities that are big cities that are no longer around. You know, big German cities that have been destroyed. It's absolutely fascinating about these all, all different things, and for me. I love law and when I'm sort of entrenched and sort of pulled into a world, I want to know more about it and I want to know all about the law. So when you hear about these other cities that are are bigger than London and London has to hide away from these bigger cities or you have these cities that are um, a bit like, or big, massive, like legendary cities that have been destroyed. Like Washington was a huge city that had been destroyed, that sort of thing. Absolutely fascinating to me. Um, And that's what kind of makes me want to read more of the series because I want to learn more about what happened to these cities. As for the plot, I won't get into it much because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, But the book starts with the traction city of London chasing and catching a small mining town called Salt Hook. Um, Tom Natsworthy, a teenage apprentice historian, is sent as punishment for skipping a chore to the gut of London, which is kind of the underbelly, where all the engines are and where all the poorer classes live. Um, We're captured during traction cities or towns are stripped of resources. Tom, incidentally, meets the head of the Guild of Historians, Thaddeus Valentine, along with his daughter, Catherine, one of Salt Hook's residents, teenager Hester Shaw, attempts to assassinate Valentine, but Tom interferes and chases her as she reveals a disgusting scar on her face and claims Valentine caused it. Before escaping the London police through a shoot, when Tom informs Valentine of her name, Valentine... Pushes him down into the chute. Tom and Hester recover outside of the city within the hunting grounds, and after an argument, they start following the city tracks to reboard London. And so the adventure begins. It's fascinating. Really, really for me, it grips me. Like, I'm already gripped on the idea that these are traction cities. That these are cities that are. How can I explain it? These are cities that are moving, you know, that they're alive. And as I mentioned, when I talked about Rapture and I talked about Bioshock, I love the idea of a living, breathing city. This in a different sort of concept because the city is alive because as an engine has wheels, you know, has people running, running it. But I just love the idea. Then you throw in sort of the sort of assassination attempts and you throw in actually the people of this world. Absolutely fascinating. Um, You have the two main characters, Tom and Hester uh tom you know he's an apprentice he's never been off london he's never he doesn't know anything but london he doesn't know anything but sort of traction cities about municipal darwinism so he's very sort of green to the world um but as a historian he wants to know more about it he only really knows what the sort of head historians tell him and what sort of artifacts they bring back that there's been found for the people that you know the architects have left um London. So it's that sort of fascinating sort of premise behind it. Then you have this idea of Hester Shaw and she is somebody who's never lived on a big city. She's a traveller. Something's happened in her past where she's met Valentine in, in in her sort of when she was younger. I won't go into spoilers but there was a sort of occasion and it left her a bit dis- disfigured and she again is now sort of seeking revenge on um, Valentine. And from there Tom... And, again, I'm trying to deliberately be vague because I don't want to spoil anything. But from sort of the events that happen on London, Tom and Hester kind of get stuck together. And then they sort of try to find their way back to London. Um, Tom wants to get back to London because it's his home. He's never been outside of London. He doesn't know how to survive. Not an attraction city. He's not used to constantly moving. And especially like using his legs to walk and that sort of thing. Um, then you have Hester who she wants to get back because she wants to kill Valentine. So they all have different objectives. But as the story goes on, you have this sort of, I don't to explain it. You have this sort of friendship that starts to grow. And I really enjoy that sort of thing. How Tom doesn't like her at first, you know, he sees her as a bad person. Again, he's been brought up in London. He believes that anybody who doesn't live on Attraction City is Like a barbarian, you know, is somebody who is, you know, uncultured, somebody who is not the sort of person you want to be around or sort of hang around with. Um, So to meet sort of Hester, who is used to living off the land, who's used to not living um, on a city, who's used to not hearing the hum of the engines. It's that sort of dynamic that's, again, very, very different and very interesting. But as the story progresses. It's comes comes apparent that they're not too different, that they both sort of, for example, they both don't have parents. They're both sort of orphans, that they both, believe it or not, have the same sort of um, goals that not just want to get back to London. But as sort of Tom learns more about Valentine's and Valentine's history is more sort of brought to the reader, Tom basically realizes that he's not as sort of a god, a deity, as a legend, as he remembers, um, as again, as he becomes more closer and friends with Hester that he actually realises that Hester is actually on the right and that she is now his friend, that he now wants to help her a lot more. And I, I like that. I think it's 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 a healthy sort of relationship, sort of friendship that sort of grows here. Um, I did write a book, a review for this book, and I posted it on Goodreads. If anybody has Goodreads, you can add them on there if you wish. Um, but this is basically my review that I wrote. I go, the ideas and concepts here are completely original and fascinating to me. The likes I've never seen before. And it's that, you look for when reading something new. The idea of multiple uh, Darwinism, that the smaller fish gets eaten by the bigger fish, or in this world the smaller town gets eaten by the bigger town, cities like London, um, is completely fascinating to me. But as Qui-Gon Jin so rightly put it, there is always a bigger fish, and food, resources and prey is dwindling, so London must go hunting if it wishes to survive. Honestly, the concept there is worth the price of admission alone and kept me interested till the end. And I found myself really enjoying what was here. But, and this is a big but, there was a few things that kept it away from that legendary five-star rating. Now, I gave it a four-star rating on, on Goodreads. I'll explain those reasons why it didn't get the full five stars now. Number one, the constant bullying of Hester Shaw. Um in this book there is loads of uh, bullying. Like this Hester she gets bullied a lot and I'll go into a bit more detail about that in a minute. Um now let it, uh, now it is let on early in the story that Hester's face is is hor- horribly disfigured due to an attack when she was younger, which that's fine it's part of the character part of the backstory, you know, it makes sense. It, it it's all there for a reason, right? Um and you'd think once it came up once, it wouldn't matter so much and be, everyone would br- would only bring it up a few times maybe. And they'd kind of let it go and you'd get on with the story. But everyone brings it up constantly throughout the story and Hester is never allowed to defend herself and no one ever comes to her defence, not even Tom. And he's meant to be her best friend um, and he does it the most. He's the one that constantly picks on her the most the way she looks. And I don't like how... Um, Hester is never allowed to defend herself because, again, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, as I mentioned, Hester did get into a bit of a kerfuffle when she was younger. Um, Her face was heavily disfigured, so she kind of has to wear a scarf um, over her nose to kind of um, hide sort of this defigurement on, on her face. And you know that sort of makes sense it's her character development it gives her a reason to want to sort of get revenge and the reason why she is what she is and why she's very sort of solid and very sort of not caring about the world and that sort of thing because she doesn't you know she's a woman on a mission she doesn't care how she looks she's just you know my main goal is to take out the people that sort of um did me wrong when i was younger um and that bit's fine you know it's, it's character development you know i i understand that but what got on my nerves and what really sort of peed me off was the constant bullying of like every character that ever sort of saw her even the characters that already knew her always mentioned of like oh you've seen her face or look at her face Or oh, isn't she ugly isn't she disgusting why would you want it like you'd have characters that would go to tom why would you want to be go traveling with a girl like her she's disgusting why don't you come come with me and we'll, we'll check out these girls over here um and it really annoyed me. And I was like, What's 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 the need for this bullying? Like I get it, we're in the far future. But, you know, leave the girl alone. And the worst part is, you know, you have this all this constant bullying, this constant picking on Hester and the way she looks and her deformity. And never once is she allowed to defend herself. Never once is she allowed to go, Well actually, um, you know, I, you know, I was attacked when I was younger. This is why I have this deformity, Or just be like, you know, tell people to piss off. You know, some sort of like backlash, some sort of chance of like, you know, leave me alone sort of thing. But never, she's never once allowed to defend herself. And that really angst me. I, I just felt like that wasn't fair because she's a wonderful character. She's a fascinating character. And I, I don't feel like she should be belittled because she has a disagreement. I just don't think that's right. I just, it feels a bit ableist. It feels a bit unfair to me. Um, especially Tom, who's meant to be, you know, I'm introduced to Tom. He's meant to be Hester's best friend. He's meant to care for Hester. He's meant to be there for her. You know, he's he is the he and her are the two main characters you read about the most and sort of go on this journey with through the story. You'd think, yeah, okay, when he first meets her, he's never seen somebody like her before. He's never seen somebody who has had a disfigured face before. Again, fair enough, okay, maybe for a chapter or two as he sort of travels with her, he mentions it once or twice. But you'd think he'd get more mature as he gets to know her, as he becomes more friend- friendly with her, that that segment doesn't matter. And it's like, you know what? You know, I'm not going to mention it. You know, she's my best friend. I love her. She's my, You know, I'm not going to sort of bring it up anymore because as you would if he was a friend, you're not going to because it doesn't matter because friendship is stronger than the way somebody looks. Right. But he does. You know, he constantly mentions it as through the story and he, he eggs people. You know, he did well. He doesn't stop people. You know, when people say it to, he doesn't go. Well, that's not very nice. You shouldn't say that. She's my friend. He just sits there and goes, Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Um, so that's something that really aches me. So That's one thing that really bothers me. It might not bother you if you read the story. It might not be something that comes up and really sort of um, bothers you that much. But for me, it was something that I, I just stopped it from getting the, four, the full five star rating. Um, also, number two, um, the forced romance. Please stop the forced romance. Like, like, I'm no Scrooge. I don't mind a bit of love in a story. Um, but when you hit me with the high concepts this book pre- represents, um, the reader, with the idea of adventure and for Darwinism and big cities on and, and tracks, you know, once you've given me that sort of thing, that's all I really want. You know, that's all I want to see. That's all I want to hear about is, is adventure and these big cities and sort of everything else that happens in the story. That's all I want, right? But... You know, when you are trying to force a love story where it doesn't need to be between Tom and Hester, um, that's annoying. And i obviously I'll get onto that in a minute, but just keep them as close friends. That's all they needed to be. They just had to be close friends. And that was fine. You know, that works perfectly for them and for the story. Um, but I worry they are going to be made to fall in love in the next book and the rest of the series, um, which annoys again, annoys me because Hester deserves so much better than Tom. Um as I mentioned, the whole bullying where Tom sort of, again, for the most part of the story, he is sort of thinking about or even mentions her disfigured face and how ugly she is and all this and that. And I'm like, how, how? as a reader and as as the author, as the writer, how did the writer th- think that if he's going to sit here and constantly belittle and badger Hester's looks and have the main character, Tom, do it all the time as well and, and sort of go with it when everybody else will say it, not defend her. How would you expect to come come to me, the reader, and be like, oh, they love each other, and uh, Tom is is wants to get with her and wants him to be his uh, girlfriend, and Hester falls in love with him. Like, how could you have that sort of concept when all you've shown me is Tom being horrible? Now, Tom is a fan. That, don't worry. I'm I'm, not, I'm making Tom sound really bad. Tom is a character. If you take out the bullying, he's an interesting character. It's a very boy meets world sort of story. Very sort of fish out of water. Very interesting. Very fascinating. He is an interesting character. He's very. He, he becomes out of his shell. He becomes very brave. He becomes a very sort of adventurous. And he basically becomes the guy that he wanted to be. Um, originally the the guy that he'd, he'd uh, envisioned and read about in stories and that sort of thing. The proper adventurer, right? You take out the bullying. He's he, that, that's quite interesting, right? But then you add the bullying in, and you're like, Ugh, I don't believe that Hester, being as smart and as clever as she is, and as wonderful as she is, would fall for somebody like this. She deserves better, and that's why I say, even though he eventually does stop the sort of the name calling and the bullying, eventually, even though that eventually happens, you know, as the story progresses, it goes on for long enough of a time where I just believe now that you know. It wouldn't work if they were getting into a relationship. I don't believe there's a romance between them. Maybe Hester might fancy him, but I wouldn't believe that he would like her because, again, he's mean to her. Now, again, you can say, you know, oh, he bullied you know, he bullied her you know, because he liked her. I don't believe it at the end of the day. And I don't like it. And I feel like Hester deserves better. She deserves a better bloke. She she deserves a better person. And that's why I say, like, uh, they're better off as friends. Best friends, close friends, yes, but not romance. And I feel like... In the next few books, that's going to be shoehorned in. And if it is, it's really going to put me off. Again, I'm not a Scrooge. I don't mind loving books. But if it's, if it's there and it doesn't need to be there, if it feels forced or shoehorned in, then it puts me off. Um, by all means, have a love story. And if make it make sense. But don't force it in because I will not believe it, right? Um, so I just hope for the next two books, they focus more on the adventure side of things. You know, I want them to be more about the world beyond the Traction seas and less about this forced romance that I don't believe at all. Um, so time will tell what they would do with them. So that's that's been my sort of review um, on Goodreads um, of the book. Uh, the book sold very, very well. It did really well. High acclaimed. As I mentioned, there were three books uh, four. In total, there's three other books, but there's four books in the series. Um, You have uh, Mortal Engines, then you have The Predator's Gold, um, then you've got book three, which is Infernal Devices, and book four, The Darkling Plane. All of them reviewed quite well. For example, the first book um, on Goodreads, uh, it has a free 0.76 overall score Um, and that is uh, from 61,365 ratings and about 6,124 reviews so it's pretty well high sort of rated and on goodreads and books that's quite well there's not many books actually hit a four-star rating um, overall so a three-star is not uh, not bad a three-star in my books is good Uh, a one is basically don't what don't sort of waste your time a two star is is meh, you know. It's, yeah, it's you know it's meh. Uh, a three star, it's you know it's it's good. That's about it, you know. It's good. You know, there's not really much more to say. A uh, four star is great, fantastic, amazing, love it. Um, and a five star is is a masterpiece. is is visionary. It's incredible. It's changed my whole perspective of my life and all that sort of jazz, right? Um, the other books uh, rated quite well as well. Uh, Praetor's Gold Book Two that got a three point nine three overall rating out of twenty three thousand and uh, 100. Um, then, internal devices that scored a little bit lower but higher than the first book that got a 3.88 out of 16,000 reviews. Um, a book for uh, a darkling plane that actually got better scores that was actually a 4.17 out of 12,000 um, reviews. So, overall, you know, he seemed to review quite well. So, I I'm hopeful, shall we say, that the next few books will be interesting. I don't know when I'll get round to reading the next few books in this series. Um, but I look forward to to continuing this story. Um, do I? Would I recommend this series to anybody? Yes, I would recommend it. Yes, the bullying will might put you off, and the bullying part might be a bit sort of, eh, you might sit there and go, well, I don't like that. But I feel like if you get over the if you can kind of get past that and you actually sort of embrace it for what it is the whole sort of multispodarwinism the sort of the te- the sort of advanced but not so advanced technology of these sort of moving cities and sort of the the character that is hester and like i didn't even mention shriek yet the the big sort of robot sort of terminator sort of bloke that is so hunt, hunting hester down um if you can get into all of that Uh, I think you really, really enjoy it. I have been vague, intentionally vague. I've only really spoke about the beginning of the story. There's a lot more to it. You know, they do travel around. You find out that there are cities in the sky, that there are some people that don't want to live on a traction city. And these are the Anti-Traction League. And this is a, a group of people that, I don't like big cities and don't like this whole sort of movable cities because they pump pollution into the air and that the world's already destroyed as it is. Why should we make it worse? You know, so there's not many resources. Why should we hoard them? Why don't we give them out? So you have these anti-traction lead that li- live in the sky. They live in big, massive air balloons. Sort of think Barshak Infinite sort of cities in the sky with balloons and that sort of thing absolutely fascinating you know that's fascinating then you've got like cities like like um china for example that's big hidden behind a big wall and there's big luscious gardens it's like a garden of eden um that sort of thing and it's really really fascinating in these high concepts and i hope again the next few books we explore more these places we we find more cities either derelict or not so derelict we see how other people lived in other towns and um Bigger cities, you know, how does a bigger city survive it without less prey? You know what I mean? Because there are a lot of cities. Like you've got cities that move, you've got traction cities. Then you've got standard cities that don't move, that are that basically tried to move, ran out of resources, ran out of fuel, and just stopped dead. And then people just started lives there, just kind of hoped, fingers crossed, that the bigger cities wouldn't come across, and bandits and pirates, pirate cities wouldn't come and destroy them. You know, so there is a lot to this world, Um, and I think it's quite worth checking out. It's quite fascinating, and like I said, they made a movie out of it. Now I am going to talk about the movie a bit, Um, but overall, as for the book, I would say you know, check the book out. You know, uh, the bullying part—it might bother you, might not. but it was something that really ain't to ain't me because I just don't like bullies. I don't like people being mean for no reason. Especially when the, char- the main character doesn't get a chance to defend themselves. Now, I've been told by my friend that Hester does defend herself more in the next few books. Maybe when this book came out, a lot of people complained about that. So the author decided to kind of, you know, let her sort of defend herself in the next books. I don't know. Um, but it was something that bothered me. But it might not bother you. So, overall, I would recommend uh, this book to check it out. Um, before I end it, before I go, I just want to talk about quickly about the movie that came out uh, in 2018. Um, More Engines is a 2018 steampunk um, film directed by uh, Christian Rivers uh, with a screenplay by Peter Jackson based on the 2001 novel of the same name by Philip Reeve. Uh, Peter Jackson purchased the rights to the book in 2009, but the film languished for several years before Big officially announced in 2016. Peter Jackson picked Rivers, who won an Academy Award for the best visual effects for his work on Jackson's King Kong, um, to make his feature-length film. directorial debut with the project and also brought on several members of his production team from The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit films. Um, filming took place from April to July 2017 in New Zealand. Mortal Engines had its world premiere on the November the 27th, 2018 and was released in Australia and New Zealand in December the 6, 2018. The film received negative reviews from critics and some praising the visual effects and score, but with most criticising the direction, screenplay and lack of personality, it went down in history as one of the biggest box office bombs of all time, grossing eighty three point seven million dollars against a production budget of one hundred to one hundred and fifty million and losing the studio an estimated one hundred and seventy five million dollars, so the movie flopped um it didn't do very well at all, um you know especially with your budget like, let's say for argument's sake, you know the movie was made for one hundred and fifty million and it only made eighty three point seven million. That's a huge loss in money. Because um, you've got to remember that that money that goes into making films, it's not just the production. It's you know the visual effects. With well, this movie, is very high on visual effects. It's paying those visual effects artists. It's paying the writers. It's paying um, the marketing staff. It is paying everybody. You know, so if it can't make that money back, it flopped hard, which is a shame. Because again, I haven't read the next few books, but I would have liked to see where this goes more. You know, I feel like this would have been a, a good. The story works. The idea behind the story works in a good medium where it could have been something special in a film. And again, I watched the movie and I quite enjoyed the movie. You know, I quite liked it. And it, it that's what interested me. wanted to check out the book originally. But again, you know, these things happen. You know, you do get sort of movies that come out and they do flop, sadly. You know, for example, um, The City of Ember. I read the book. I watched the film. I loved them both. But the film flopped. So sadly, we never got to. They never did any more of the books. Uh, Inkart with Brendan Fraser, fantastic book, fantastic film, flopped, didn't do very well. I might actually review Inkart, um, the the film. I've I've read the read the book. I absolutely love the book. Um, I might review the film because I feel like what well, that's one of those move book to movies that kind of was looked over that deserves a lot more love. Um, but you know it happens all the time, and I've mentioned this a few times in my reviews where you get book to screen um and it, you especially yeah, that renaissance in the early 2000s even even though i know this came out in the 2010s um you did have that sort of 2000s renaissance because of harry potter where everybody was trying to basically make huge franchises out of books you know on on the big screen and some failed and some didn't you know only a few really garnered success others really just kind of flopped hard um twilight and harry potter like you know being sort of a few um to mention but again this, this is what happens you know they take it but yeah I just wanted to mention it like, I really enjoyed it you know it it, it had one of my favourite actors in it it had Hugo Weaving in it again Hugo Weaving in in my opinion is one of these one of the best act- actors ever to live um, but yeah I really enjoyed it if you haven't seen the film I highly recommend checking it out but yeah so that's been my review of uh, Mortal Engines I know it's a bit loosey goosey I know I, I've probably ummed and ah a bit and i paused a bit longer than I would normally um But I feel like it's more fun, you know. That's how I tend to review books. This is how when (laughs) people—it's really awkward when when friends ask me, "Oh, you read so and so book? Yeah, I have. What do you think about it?" And this is basically how I am. Like I've got so much I want to say, but it's like I don't want to spoil it. Like if I could spoil it, I've got I would have a lot more to say. Like I wish I could go more into into Strike and talking about him. He's like the Terminator sort of side of him. And how he's trying to hunt down Hester, and why he's hunting down Hester, and how it's slowly drip fed to you throughout the story. I wish we'd go into more that more, but again, that's sort of like the surprise of the story overall. Also, you've got sort of, you know, the stuff about sort of Valentine, who Valentine really is. Also, you've also got the side story that goes on in London uh, with um, Valentine's daughter and the venture she gets up to in London. There's a lot, there's a lot going on in this story for a short story like this book. My my edition of the book. Is only it's only two hundred and ninety three pages long now that's short you know most novels are 300 plus I know it's close to 300 but it's it's quite a short book It took me longer to read the normal because I've been very busy lately um but it is it's it's a short book, but for a short book there's a lot going on you know there's a lot of ideas and concepts in this world that I've never seen before that are incredibly fascinating there's a lot of story threads there's a lot of stuff that happened in the past and there are a lot of stuff that's going off pardon me, so I do apologise, hope you didn't hear that I just burped, do apologise um, but I'm going to keep that in the edit that's just funny, um, because he doesn't love burps but there's a lot going on in, in this story that keeps you interested there's a lot of sort of characters, you have Hester you have Tom on their adventure, you have Tom on his adventures, you've got Shrike on his adventure, you've got Katie on her adventure and what she gets to, to and all that, so there's a lot going on for such a short book, and For me, being a book reader, granted, you know, you take away the things I didn't enjoy. There's enough here for me where I would be like, I'll happily read the sequel. And hopefully I I would hope that the sequel would improve on what was already here, would sort of take me to um, new places. And I hope it does. Now, granted, I don't know when I will get round to the second book, but I am looking forward to it. But again, I really, really hope you enjoyed this review. You know, I hope I've inspired you to pick up this book, to check it out um it's fun it's interesting you know it's big it's brave it's brilliant you know so it's worth giving it a go i guess it's 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 an early 2000s book but you know check it out so that's been me i'm your host luke Um, thank you for listening to the nerd stagic podcast thank you for listening to this side quest um again i feel like i've run over longer than i'd planned these are th- these are really meant to be 30, 30 to 35 minutes long and i've just done 40 soon to be 42 minutes um but this happens when you talk about stuff you love. But thank you very, very much for listening. I do appreciate it. I promise that a bigger, longer, more sort of structured um, episode will come next week. Um, but for now, enjoy this little sort of um, loosey-goosey side quest. And I hope to see you next week. So, as always, bye bye